My last guest this week, certainly not least, is Greg Tordo, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at Goldman Sachs, who currently offers 39 ETFs, over $33 billion in assets. That includes the Goldman Sachs Small Cap Core Equity ETF, ticker GSC, which just launched in October and is, in fact, co-managed by Greg, who is now on the line with me from New York. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Nate. All right, so my understanding is that uh, you've been involved with a small and mid-cap equity universe going on, what, 30 years now. And so before we get into the ETF, I would love to hear more about uh, sort of your career arc, how you first got started in this space, and then perhaps take us up to your uh, current role at Goldman Sachs. Yeah, it would be it would be a two hour podcast if I did that, so I'll make it brief. Um, you know, I started you know back back in the uh, mid nineties, uh, Bankers Trust, and back then you know you, we were you know embarking on what I would call the first of a a number of really really large IPO you know kind of explosions in the in the world, and as there was too many IPOs for the existing analyst team to cover. Uh, I got drafted to kind of co- help cover and go to a lot of road shows and gain gain a lot of weight by eating rubber chicken uh, by seeing a lot of these small cap tech companies that came public in the in the mid nineties and I fell in love with how inefficient some of these small cap companies were you know in terms of just you were able to model them the way you wanted to and you were able to uh, you know kind of get a get a chance to create a relationship with the management team and really do that due diligence that kind of gets the passion flowing. For stock pickers, and over the course of my career, I've transitioned from you know kind of being a technology analyst to to more of a portfolio manager, team leader, and now I'm hoping to you know kind of not just manage the portfolios, but teach you know men- mentor, coach the folks around me to kind of have that same passion and productivity and hopefully success that I've had earlier on in my career. Yeah. So as I mentioned, you are now co-portfolio manager on the Goldman Sachs Small Cap Core Equity ETF. Again, ticker GSC. Why don't you first take us through the uh, high-level process here in terms of how you're approaching stock selection and just the active management framework overall, and then we can uh, get into discussing the small-cap universe itself. Yeah, so the, 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 the GSC product itself is a, is a very similar strategy that my co-portfolio manager, Rob Pristel, and I have been running for about three years uh, for you know, offshore, an offshore fund and for private wealth clients here at, here at Goldman Sachs Asset Management. It's a bottoms-up approach uh, that's you know one stock at a time that we use to kind of find the best ideas from our growth and our value teams within small cap. We have a dedicated small cap team for research, which we think is a significant competitive advantage for us. And most of the companies we own are are you know in this GSC ETF have been names we've owned for at least a, a little bit of time before they get into GSC. They're they're almost uh, you know kind of moving towards the high conviction uh, approach as we get there because sometimes you'll buy you'll buy a name a little bit early um, you know on either the growth or value side whether whether you think that there's an opportunity created one way or the other. And so Rob and I. You know, kind of go through the names and sort of the highest conviction ideas of the analysts that we have that are out there. And we build the portfolio, trying to keep it under 100 stocks and trying to keep it, you know, not not sector neutral, because I think that that kind of avoids, you know, the creativity that we, we try to have where conviction can get expressed. Like, for example, we like a lot of consumer names. We like a lot of industrials names and we like a lot of tech names. And so we think that if, you know, if, we, if that's where the, the ideas are coming and they're good ideas that, that Rob and I have vetted, then we'll have overweights in those sectors. And, you know, I think that 
what we try to do is make sure that, you know, kind of the, the research process is followed. You know, we spend time with management. We, you know, do scenario analysis in terms of, you know, bull, bear, and base in terms of what could happen. But also, we like to think about the art of the possible because many of these companies are, you know, on the cusp of something, you know, what we think is pretty exciting. You know, they're, they're breaking into a new market. They're they're challenging a much larger cap competitor. So we don't want to let, you know, kind of, a, you know, a very narrow view of price targets or, you know, kind of having a having a really kind of highly constrictive sell discipline. So we also try to let our winners run, which is, you know, while you'll see some of the names at the top of the portfolio being a bit bigger, uh, you know, our top 10 being a bit bigger than, say, the, 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 the 10 names after that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was actually a question I had for you was, was around how you weight holdings in the portfolio. You mentioned uh, potential overweights to sectors, but if I look right now, I see Federal Signals, your top holding at 2.3%, and then Onto Innovation at, at 2.1%. Do, do you want to talk a little bit more about how you determine those weightings? Yeah, so I think, you know, po- both of them kind of fall into the winner's run category, but I think that Federal Signals a little bit more of a, of a unique story. You know, it's a company uh, run by Jennifer Sherman, what, what, what we think of as a, an incredibly, you know, talented CEO in terms of, you know, kind of running the company, but not only just running it for, for you know, for, for what it is today, but running it for the future. They're, you know, they're based in, in, the, in the center of Illinois, and they, you know, I, I actually have known this company for a long time. They, they used to make garbage trucks and fire trucks, and now it's more along the lines of, you know, kind of safety equipment, uh, environmental equipment. Think about you know kind of the things that you know kind of drain the uh, the uh, you know the sewer pipes in the cities, and then street sweepers. And through you know kind of what we think are are, are unique organic uh, inorganic opportunities to buy up small mom and pops, they've been been able to kind of embark on a very very high return high return on invested capital approach to to grow this company significantly faster than the category is has been growing for 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 quite some time you know i think we we you know we we uh, we understand and and kind of operate with the fact that we think that um uh, municipal budgets are pretty strong, so we think that the you know the people who are spending money on these things will have will have the ability to continue to spend money. And I think that when we look at sort of a, a company that's going to grow their top line, you know, high single digits, mid to high single digits, that's you know this is a zero growth category or a very very low growth category. So these are guys that are taking share um, and really selling into markets where they're kind of creating opportunities for themselves as opposed to as opposed to waiting for something to wear out and then you know kind of calling on a you know, calling on the DPW in your town to say, "Hey, do you need a new street sweeper?" So it's a it's a it's a total approach: manufacturing, sales, you know, marketing, and also kind of aligning themselves very closely with the you know with the municipal needs of of many of the customer bases that they have out there in the in the middle of the country. Greg, as you just walked through the detail of a company like that on the fly, it got me thinking. Uh, about what your watch list process looks like, because obviously the small cap universe is large. There are a lot of companies here, but I- I'm guessing you're clearly paying attention to uh, to companies outside of just the ones you own in a uh, in the GSE portfolio. Can you talk about that process at all, and and how a company is ultimately elevated to portfolio status? You know, Nate, that's a great question. I wish more people asked about it because I do think it's a key differentiator for us. You know, you know, I think that. You know what we in, we you know kind of entrust our team with is not just you know kind of knowing everything about you know the companies that are in the portfolio, but having four or five companies ready to go that the analysts and the portfolio managers have agreed upon that are like you know this is the next one that's going to go into the portfolio. So doing the same amount of work, 
meeting with the management team, you know, kind of dealing with the quarterly results, you know, making sure that, you know, the kind of some of the secondary and tertiary research processes are out there, whether it's, you know, kind of alternative data or, you know, just doing some, doing some, you know, kind of interviews with people in the space just to understand what's going on. So there's as much of a, of an understanding and a knowledge base about a company that we don't have in the portfolio that we do. So in the small cap space, you find, you know, and I, I laugh about this stuff, but things happen. You know, companies get taken out, and and sometimes, you know, on a, that's a good thing. But sometimes bad things happen. Some, somebody can miss a quarter, and the thesis you have had or have been holding on to could be broken. And and if well, we don't really want to kind of reorient or shift the thesis to the right, we want to make sure that if our original thesis is broken and we can't reconstruct it, then we'll move on. And I think that those watch list names, especially having them and discussing them at our, at our, at our meetings with our analysts really allow us to kind of operate quickly and not, you know, kind of miss that opportunity cost that happens in the small cap space because, you know, these companies move very, very quickly when, when, when the, when the consensus changes. Greg, more broadly speaking, uh, an advisor or investor, they have a decision to make when allocating to uh, small caps. They can either go active or they can go index based. Um, can you speak to the potential value of active management here? Because, again, this is, I, I know, somewhat of a cliche question, but it is a key decision point uh, investors have to make. It's why I do what I do. Um, you know, I do think that there's a significant amount of inefficiency in the small cap space, but I do think that there's, you know, kind of nuances to that that, you know, you can't capture at the top of the indexes. And I, and I think that, you know, one, one, one interesting area to that is, is financials, right? And I think that, We've been able to do quite well as an active manager, and many of our peers have done the same because they weren't um, beaten up in the you know kind of March of last year during the Silicon Valley Bank crisis of 2023, and, and similarly towards what's been happening more more recently, you know, kind of with New York Community Bank. And, and I think that you know when you kind of think about that and you kind of broaden it out to other sectors, you know, biotech for example, software places where you know you can make some really really big mistakes but if it's a cap weighted name and it's a 6 billion dollar company it's one of the biggest names in the benchmark the benchmark's going to go down and if you miss and if you're as a portfolio manager are not there or you own something that's significantly better than that company you can you know you can make some you can make some significant return for that client in that portfolio just by that selectivity of of your process you know, we also see a lot of, you know, kind of, and I think it's starting to kind of get eked out now, but, you know, over the last couple of years, SPACs, for example, were a very large portion, uh, not very large, but large enough portion of the, of the, of the Russell 2000 benchmark, which we use. And, you know, that's, you know, that was a place and thankfully that we did not go to tread and, you know, kind of avoiding that was also a, a big portion of the kind of the return we were able to, to kind of deliver to the clients because, you know, that was a, you know, kind of an open-ended hole that, you know, people just kept on shoving money into and, and thankfully not being there helped that. There's other things too. I, you know, I think that, I think that you have, you know, sectors that, you know, we just, we just don't spend a lot of time in, you know, like mortgage REITs and financials. That's, you know, I don't think that that's an area that you want to spend a lot of time in. Utilities is an area we don't, we don't spend a lot of time in just because I don't think that there's a lot of alpha there. So not being, you know, kind of, not being, you know, kind of top-down driven, Allows us to focus on where the opportunities are, but also you kind know, of avoid, you know, hopefully avoid, you know, a significant amount of potholes that that come on, that come at you along the way. Yeah, and just to hone in on this point, when you talk about 
potholes, and I think this is what you're circling around, one of the popular refrains I keep hearing about small cap stocks overall is the number of quote unquote zombie companies in the broader indices, right? These companies that might be over leveraged, they're not generating enough cash. Is that a real concern right now in the small cap space? You know, I do think that, you know, I think that there are, you know, parts of the small cap space that are, you know, that are over leveraged. I think you had, you know, kind of a, a big, a big chunk of that get, get beaten up last year, you know, when interest rates rose so quickly and you had a, you know, many companies in the small cap space have floating rate debt, for example. You know, thankfully, you know, through an active bottoms up process, you avoid a lot of that and you kind of, a, you kind of can, can wean that out. Um, but you can't do that if you're buying the benchmark, you're buying the index. And, and I do think that there are, you know, zombie companies out there that are just kind of floating around that don't have, um, that don't have the prospects that you'd expect them to be. Yeah, expect them to as public companies. And, you know, I think that that's something that, you know, as, as you've done this or as I've done this for as long as I've have, it's, um, it's been interesting to see, you know, kind of those, you know, kind of when that reckoning comes. And hopefully, you know, kind of avoiding it every time it does. Just a few minutes left here. Uh, if I look at performance, and I, I noted this at the top of the podcast, let me just briefly walk through this. So if you look at the Russell 2000 versus the S&P 500 on a trailing one year, three year, five year, 10 year, whatever, it's yeah. not pretty. So as an example, I use the uh, trailing three year returns where the S&P 500 is up about 33% and small caps are actually down 10%. And I, I, I guess on the note of popular refrains, I keep hearing that because of this performance disparity, and, and also we can certainly work in valuations if you want to touch on those, small caps are primed to play catch-up to large caps, that they're going to start closing that performance gap. Do you agree with that? And if so, like, what would be some potential catalysts here? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I do. <laughs> I do think that, that, that the small caps are primed to play catch-up. And I do think valuation is one of those catalysts. Uh, you know, I think it's we've seen a you know we've seen a, a an unprecedented period um, where not just concentration in the mega caps, but also just the the absolute you know kind of apathy towards small caps has has led to a it's it's you know I'd have to say it's almost a you know, kind of a decade um, since we've seen anything like this in terms of, you know, kind of the, the valuation gap between, you know, large caps and small caps. And I, and I do think that when you kind of look at some of the things that, you know, can be catalytic, valuation can be a catalyst. It can't be a catalyst on its own. Cheapness by itself is not enough to get people excited. What we think will be, you know, kind of will join this, this, um, you know, kind of the the relative, you know, cheapness of the small cap asset classes. You know, a couple of fundamental things that we've seen, you know, kind of more more specifically pick up. M and A is really starting to get very, very active in the small cap space. Um, we've seen it happen in healthcare. We've seen it happen in a couple of other sectors like consumer. So we do think that that gets people, those animal spirits, get people excited about the small cap space because as valuations got inexpensive, you've seen some of the larger players come in strategically and and uh, also the private equity space. Secondarily, I think that you know, the IPO market, which has been dead for almost two years, and 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 rightly so, I think 2021 was a was a really really tough year because I think they the the, uh, the the capital markets folks put out a lot of product that that really didn't need to be out there. 
you're starting to see some better product that's coming out, and I think you'll see that you know kind of trickle out over the first quarter, and then as you get into the second quarter, you're going to see a lot of more mature companies, like we saw in 2013 after the global financial crisis, and in 2018 after another shakeout, and like so in 2020 after COVID. You know, I think you're, you you see these kind of these pauses that refresh the IPO market. And I think you're going to see some pretty high quality. And and I think finally, you know, you know, I do think that the the U.S. economy see all these things, you know, it's too strong, right? You know, I think people are worried that the U.S. economy is too strong. I don't think it's too strong, but I think it's strong enough to really support, you know, what we think is going to be a really, really big earnings recovery for the small cap space. It's been two years since we've seen that, you know, kind of Powell being reappointed in in November 21 was like the downside to the earnings cycle. We're starting to see the upside now and positive revisions. So I think those three things, along with cheapness, are, are really, you know, strong catalysts for small cap to outperform this year. Well, Greg, really enjoyed hearing your uh, perspective this week. Just just excellent insight into the small cap universe. Best of luck to you on uh, GSC moving forward. Thank you for joining me this week. Thank you, Nate. I really appreciate the opportunity. That was Greg Tordo, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at Goldman Sachs.